Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Good morning, everybody. If you're visiting, again, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor here, and this is a really special Sunday because this is Christ the King Sunday. Can we get a, a round of applause for you? Okay. If you're like, I have no idea what that is. I don't know why I'm clapping. Uh, as a church, we follow the historic Christian church calendar, which um, we talked about this a couple months back, but basically our calendar as Christians is shaped in the image of Jesus. And as we live life in it, it shapes us into the image of Jesus, which is really cool. So every year, we follow the life of Christ in the life of the church, and it starts in Advent 1, and it ends today. Uh, and it, all of the, the church year culminates with us celebrating and recognizing the eternal kingship and reign of Jesus. So it's like the whole thing is this huge crescendo, and it just blows up, uh, you know, like the king scene in the end of Star Wars when they're all there, and it's amazing, okay? Um, and so we're really excited to do that. We will always do this, and it's really special. And today it's especially special, if you can be especially special, because we have Father Nate Beasley here from Chicago. Can we give a warm welcome to Father Nate Beasley? So... If you are visiting, um, you'll know that uh, we are a part of a, a broad church network that is global, but also in the Midwest, we have a lot of sister churches uh, that we are really dear to and close to. And Nate and his church is a church plant in the West Loop of Chicago. Um, so the West Loop is a very cool part of downtown Chicago. Is it fair to call it downtown Chicago? It's, yeah, it's okay. Um, and it is the most millennial zip code in the nation. Uh, and Nate has a huge passion there, not only to, for planning a church and reaching all the people who live in the West Loop, uh, but also for college students. So he actually, you work for Crew as well, uh, which is really cool. There's an amazing partnership he has with different colleges in the city of Chicago and reaching people, and I love so many things about Nate. Um, Nate's a professional juggler, uh, literally, which he'll do in the middle of a sermon today. It's going to be awesome. Just kidding, he's not. Um, <laughs> But my favorite thing about Nate is he's just infectious. His love for Jesus uh, is absolutely infectious. So you can't hang around Nate for long. Uh, this guy loves Jesus. And every time I'm with him, I love Jesus more. I want to follow him and obey him more. So it's a real joy for him to come and speak to us. So let me pray for him as we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we do recognize your good and most gracious rule, like we prayed at the beginning of this. Oh, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord. May it be so. Give us a deeper taste of the kingdom of God. Give us a, a greater and more beautiful picture of it that we'll want to follow you into it and live inside it and make it manifest in our life. So Lord, uh, anoint your servant Nate this morning, Lord. Uh, open up this beautiful passage to us about the kingship of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Oh. Thank you, Father Scott. I have so much uh, admiration for you, and it is so good to be here. Uh, truly, we rejoice uh, in the kingdom of God working here, uh, the kingdom of God work here at Christ Church Madison. And I give you a great greetings from Cornerstone Anglican Church in the West Loop. And uh, behind that greetings is a lot of loud yelling and cheering and applause. I come from a professional juggler background where that's just what I love. So... Uh, so we, we are so encouraged by what God is doing here. And I'm so thankful that I came on the Pie Bake Off Sunday. Yeah. I had no idea, but that is amazing. I also, I also learned a new word this morning. Um, I guess 
if I still don't know what it means, I didn't learn it, but potentate. Potentate. Ruler. Yeah. Ruler. Ruler. Ruler, which applies yeah. that. Basically, Jesus is the king of time, the potentate of time. The king of, amen. Yeah. As we look at Christ the king, the finale of this church calendar year. Uh, in the book of Daniel, there's a Babylonian king named Belshazzar. And he throws an enormous party. It's over a thousand people at this party, lots of alcohol, lots of wives and concubines. It's the kind of party that you would probably imagine happening at UW's Madison's campus, uh, where you're seeking to escape your problems, maximize your pleasure. Suddenly at this party, the fingers of a giant human hand appear on the wall. Right? This is one of those crazy Bible stories. And the divine hand writes, many, many, tekel and parson. The king's knees shake at this divine hand, and he invites Daniel to interpret these words. And Daniel stands up and says, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. It's a bummer of a party. Kind of come in wanting to escape and you leave with divine judgment. And truly that night, Cyrus the Persian emperor invaded and Belshazzar was killed. A new kingdom began. Today, we celebrate that the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, is king over the universe. Churches across the globe are celebrating this reality. In the West, we are celebrating that Christ is king. When Jesus came, and I've heard that you have been studying the Gospel of Luke. We've been, uh, we just finished a series on the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus came, Luke 4, he says that I must go to many towns to proclaim the kingdom of God. Mark, Jesus says right away, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what that means is that the old kingdom's handwriting is on the wall. So don't live for the old kingdom anymore. God has numbered its days. Live for a kingdom that will last. Live for a kingdom that will satisfy. Jesus says, I am bringing a new kingdom that is here now and is infinitely more valuable than any kingdom of this world. So on Christ the King Sunday, we're going to spend time looking at what is this kingdom that our King has brought, that is here. And we'll ask two questions today. What, the first is, what, what is the kingdom of God? We'll specifically really look into what's the, what's the storyline, what's the narrative, the plot line of the kingdom of God? And the second question we'll look at is, what's the way into the kingdom of God? How do I become a part of this kingdom? And we'll look at multiple texts. This will be less looking at one text this morning. It's exploring theologically, especially looking at the gospel of Luke. But as, as we look at this today, as we go through what is the kingdom of God, how do I be a part of it? I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to once again, maybe for the first time, just open your heart to Jesus. And if there's any way that you know that you've been wooed by a kingdom of this world, 
that you've been distracted by the desire for many other things and you've forgotten the beauty of the kingdom of God. Just want to invite you to ask Jesus, would, would he again woo you? Would he again draw you to himself? So would, I, would it be okay if I prayed again before we started going into it? No one ever says no to that. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, to you all hearts are open. You know our hearts. You can read us. You can see us. And yet you are so patient with us. And you are so respectful of us that you, you actually wait for us to open our hearts to you so often. And we do open our hearts to you again this morning. God, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we ask that we would feed on true food. We ask that we would again be drawn into your kingdom. Come Holy Spirit, come. Bring to mind what you would have this morning and draw us again into the worth of your kingdom. Amen. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, as you have been looking at, you see continually this juxtaposition between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. Luke 4, when Jesus is drawn by the Spirit into the wilderness and the devil is tempting him, another one of those crazy Bible stories, and the devil tempts him, one of his temptations is... In a moment of time, I'm, I shows him all of the kingdoms of this world and says, To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. The devil is enticing Jesus, be enthroned above every kingdom of this world, have all the prestige, all the fame, all the honor, all the glory, and have it right now. And Jesus says no. And later on, we see in Luke 4, he says that I must go to the other towns as well to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, in Luke 13, Jesus says this, what, shall, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? I love it when Jesus directly answers my questions. He says, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Right, A mustard seed is small. It's humble. Seemingly insignificant in its beginning, but it grows into a magnificent tree which gives shade to all around. It is glorious in its final state. And in the same way, the kingdom of God is small, humble, and seemingly insignificant in its beginning. In fact, it actually comes through suffering. Jesus says in John, unless of greener wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can bear no fruit. It actually is inaugurated through suffering, small in its beginning. And yet it's glorious in its final state. This is opposed to the kingdoms of this world, which are big and clear and talked about in the here and now. Jesus is very, very clear. Whenever he speaks about the kingdoms of this world, he speaks that they are so very temporary. They are here and now. They are passing away. They will end. He'll look at a building in Jerusalem and he'll say, that will be destroyed. Don't live for the kingdom of this world. Don't live by the ways of the kingdom of this world. 
manipulating others for power and authority here and now, it will fade. And because of this, the value systems that we see of this mustard seed kingdom of God are completely contradictory to the value systems of the kingdom of this world. Luke 6, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Who inherits the kingdom of God? It's the poor. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you. No, that's the last blessed one. Now it begins with, but woe to you who are rich. You've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. What Jesus is saying is, if you are satisfied with this world, if you are satisfied in the kingdoms of this world, this world is all you're going to get. If you aren't satisfied, if you long for me, if you long for more, blessed are you, for you're going to receive something that is beyond comparison. Yes, it is small now, but it will grow to be more than you can imagine. This is why the kingdom of God is upside down from the kingdom of this world. This is why all throughout the gospel of Luke, Jesus never tires of speaking about this great reversal. It's how Dr. Luke begins when he shares about Mary, who actually has the Christ child in her womb. And in this beautiful song says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. The kingdom of God exalts those of humble estate. And it takes those who are great in the kingdom of this world and it brings them down. This is why Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. If you save your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for my sake and for the gospels, you will find it. If you live for the here and now, you're going to lose your life. But if you live for what's coming, oh, you will find your life. This is the kingdom of God. And as good students of the Bible, we know if Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, we have to really understand the context first to which he was speaking this into. The context of first century Judaism. Under no freedom in rule. The Jewish people were under the oppression of the Romans. They had no freedom of worship. They were bullied, essentially. And they all wanted a Messiah. They all wanted an anointed one to come and save them. They wanted a king. The problem was, is that everyone wanted a kingdom of this world, Messiah. And no one wanted a kingdom of God, Messiah. You've read Luke. You've seen this over and over and over again. Everyone wants a kingdom of the world, Messiah. They wanted a Messiah to save them how they wanted, when they wanted, according to the ways they wanted, so they could get what they wanted in the here and the now. They wanted a Messiah who would violently raise up an army to overthrow the Roman rulers. That's what they're longing for. And Jesus goes directly into this context. And in Luke chapter 4, he goes into his hometown of Nazareth. He takes a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, a scroll that everybody knew. This portion of the scroll was speaking to the coming Messiah, to the coming king. He reads it, and then he sits down and says, this scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing. 
you notice, Jesus isn't bashful saying, I'm the Messiah. He makes it very clear right from the beginning of his ministry, I am the Messiah. But what he shows is that I'm the kingdom of God, Messiah. I am not a kingdom of this world, Messiah. And this is what the kingdom of God, Messiah, is like. I'm a mustard seed. I will suffer. I will be flogged. I will die. And then I'll be raised. I will go to the ground and die in order to inaugurate something so much better. Such a better salvation. Look for something so much better. Hunger. Blessed are you if you are hungry now. And we see this longing for the two messiahs, most clearly and evidently in the climax of Jesus hanging on a cross. The mustard seed messiah, short of breath, as he is hanging on a cross between two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And one criminal begs him, Jesus, be the kingdom of this world messiah. But do you see this? If you look at this story, one criminal says, come down, smite the Romans. Come down, smite your enemies. If you're truly the Christ, save yourself and us. Overthrow them and save me. What he's saying is my only hope right now, the one thing I can hold on to is that you're actually the Messiah, that you're going to rescue me right now and give me another chance at life here and now. Otherwise, I'm just going to die. But the other criminal rebukes him. And in an overwhelming breath of fresh air for the gospel of Luke, he cries out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, you have a kingdom. That's the kingdom I want. You have a way you're getting into your kingdom. All I ask is you remember me. Your kingdom, your way, remember me. Do you guys see this happening? It's moments before Jesus dies. So which kind of king do you want? Christ the King Sunday, what, what kind of Messiah are you looking for? For if there's anything clear in the Gospel of Luke, it's that you cannot say you love Jesus and you love his kingdom, and yet set all of your hopes on the kingdom of this world. Set all of your hopes on the Messiah to violently overthrow the Romans so that you will finally experience national freedom. Jesus is very clear about that. And in the same way, today you cannot say that you love Jesus, that you love his kingdom, that you follow him, and yet set all of your hopes on Jesus giving you a comfortable and an easy life, free from pain. That's a middle-class kingdom. It's be freed from the restraints of not having enough so that you'll get all the comfort you want and never have need. That kingdom's writing is on the wall. You have no need to live for it anymore. It's Jesus. You have a kingdom. That's the kingdom I hunger for. That's the kingdom I need. I don't deserve that kingdom. You have a way of getting into your kingdom. All I ask is that you remember me there. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Is that the cry of your heart today? Jesus says to that dying man on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So I want to continue looking at the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? By really examining what is the story of the kingdom of God? It's a mustard seed story. It's small, it's humble, it's seemingly insignificant. It comes through suffering. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. See, if you are in Jesus, you have been born again. Believe in living hope to Jesus himself. Your hope is not only that you believe in Jesus, but that you're literally born into him. It's not just that you belong to his kingdom, it's that you belong to him that you're fused to him in an unbreakable bond, that his story is your story, that his life is your life. And what is our king's story? Well, his story is one of relinquishing his desires. His story is one of coming to serve. His story is one of washing feet, of suffering even to the point of death. But the twist is that his story does not end in death. Amen? He rises again. So if you are tethered to Jesus in his suffering and death, you likewise are tethered to him in his resurrection. That as he rose from the dead, you too will rise, joining him in glory unspeakable. You are united to Jesus in his suffering and united to Jesus in his life. See, the narrative of the kingdom of God, the story, the plot line is that this mustard seed kingdom is a kingdom where you serve and you suffer. Just like Jesus, you serve and you suffer. You serve and you suffer, and the end is glory. Serve, suffer, serve, suffer, serve, suffer, glory. With Jesus in suffering, with Jesus in glory. Paul speaks of this paradox saying we always carry in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal bodies. We join him in his death so that by any means possible, we will join him in his resurrection and the kingdom of God ends in paradise with a radiant king in a just world with new bodies, streams of living water in a multi-ethnic city, a wedding feast, great pie bake-off that, praise the Lord, we have a sacramental reality to sing into today. With good food, with leaping and running, dancing without tire, abundant life is your destination. If you're in the kingdom of God, paradise is what awaits you, and all of your hope can be set on glory. Peter says, set all, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Serve, suffer, serve, suffer, glory. That's the upside-down kingdom of the kingdom of God. The reason why we need to be so clear into speaking about this is that is the opposite of the narrative and the plot line of the kingdom of this world. Don't you see why? because any plotline, any narrative in the kingdom of this world inevitably ends in death. Any 
any narrative ends, that death is what is final. So if you really believe that the last thing in your life is your own death, that all things decay and end, what can you do but seek to just take as much as you possibly can out of this life? But grasp to find the good days and to suck as much out of them, to climb the ladder, to eat, to drink, for tomorrow we die. Live life to its fullest, for it's all you have. Go skydiving. Go Rocky Mountain climbing. Go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Grasp as much as you can because it ends in death. Jesus, won't you use your power to get me down from the cross? Won't you stop the pain? Won't you stop the hurt? For I can't die. Then it will all be over. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you that in the kingdom of Jesus, you do not need to live grasping for whatever comfort and good circumstance you can hold onto. And you don't need to live in constant fear that the good things that you have now will be taken away. Because the story of Jesus is that actually your worst fears may come true. The worst things in this world will happen. Our narrative starts in serving. Our narrative starts in a suffering world. But the fear of that does not have to consume you any longer. The sting is gone. Because the worst that can ever happen to you is always and only temporary. In the power of the resurrection... There is hope that everything lost will be restored. Death is but a step in the path. As George Herbert says, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? What's the worst anything or anyone can do to you? That's a real question, Christians, that we must ask. Right? You can kill me, but I'll rise from the dead. You can threaten me, but my future is clear. You can speak all kinds of evil against me, but I know the words that will be spoken to me on the last day. You can take what I most love in this world, but you cannot take away the resurrection. For as Jesus rose from the dead, you too will rise. Amen? And this does not downplay the hurt of temporary loss but it proclaims that glory is the end. There is a loss, but it is a death in his sauce. Your end is glory. So you can now join Jesus in his serving and his suffering. Serve and suffer, serve, suffer glory. So how do we enter this kingdom? How do we enter this kingdom? beauty of the good news of Jesus is that it's upside down how we enter, just as upside down every part of it is. How do we enter this kingdom is all that you need is need. All that you need is to really realize that anything in this temporary life will not actually satisfy you. You need to realize that you were made for more, that you hunger for more, that there's a desire for more that just will not be satisfied in this temporary place. You just need to need him. 
you look in the Gospel of Luke, right, all these people who encounter Jesus and leave changed, it's all the people who really needed him, who came to him and said, this kingdom is not enough for me. This here and now is not enough. I need more. That's why, woe to the rich and blessed are the poor. It's not because rich people can't enter the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus was really, really rich, and he entered the kingdom of God, but Zacchaeus realized, what I have right now is not enough. I need help. I need something more, and I can't figure this problem out on my own. I need you, Jesus. Right, you see people undignified seeking after Jesus, literally tearing through the roof of a home to get to him because they had no other way to help their friend. Right, people crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The best way to explain how do we enter the kingdom of God is that we just need to need him and realize that what we have is not enough. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18. It says, two men went down to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed this, Lord, I thank you I'm not like other men. I give a lot of money, right? I fast a whole heck of a lot. The tax collector could not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, the latter walked away justified, made righteous, made into relationship with God in the kingdom of God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you know that the kingdoms of this world will not satisfy you? Do you know that you need something more, and do you realize you can't get it? You can't achieve the kingdom of God you can't get a good enough resume to the kingdom of God. All you need is need and a crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All you need is to realize that the kingdoms you can build for yourself are never enough. And just to say, Jesus, you have a kingdom. Jesus, you have a way. Oh, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.